welcome once again to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, our uh, virtual church classroom Bible study on podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church and me. We come from Jasper, Indiana, and with the help of my daughter Bethany, we're each week studying this uh, book of Revelation now and uh, just taking it as plainly as we can so that our goal then would be to know God's heart and mind by fully engaging our own hearts and mind. We believe that uh, the best way to really deepen our relationship with God is to start in God's Word. Read the words, take them at their face value, and then search your soul and your heart and do your homework and see what you come up with. So this is what we're getting ready to do. This is episode 16. Episode 16 is recorded on Sunday, January 22nd, 2018. Our psalm reading is Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear me, Lord, my plea is just listen to my cry hear my prayer it does not rise from the deceitful lips let my vindication come from you may your eyes see what is right though you probe my heart though you examine me at night and test me you will find that i have planned no evil my mouth has not transgressed though people tried to bribe me I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through the what your lips have commanded my steps have helped held to your paths my feet have not stumbled I call on you my God for you will answer me turn your ear to me and hear my prayer show me the wonders of your great love you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes keep me as the apple of your eye hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me from the mortal enemies who surround me they close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance they have tracked me down they have surrounded me with eyes alert to throw me to the ground they are like a lion hungry for prey like a fierce lion crouching in cover rise up lord confront them bring them down with your sword rescue me from the wicked by your hand save me from such people lord from those of this world whose reward is in this life May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it. And may there be leftovers for the little ones. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Listen to my cry The most honest prayer you've ever heard Let my vindication come From your presence I know you know I'm in the right You've come to me by night You've tried my heart and found me innocent God, hear our prayer today as we come to you once more 
seeking to find your grace and your favor. Not because we deserve it, Lord, but because it is your promise, because it is your desire to bless us. We, we can't really wrap our minds around it. We, we ask for your love, not in the spirit of those who feel entitled to it, but simply as those who know that it is your desire, that, that it would be offensive to you if we didn't ask, that we are like children who don't want to bother our parents asking us for the very basic things that they are committed to give because of their great love. And so God, we pray this day for uh, defense against our enemies and defense against the the great enemy, Satan. We ask that you help us to be strong in the face of our many difficulties that are in many ways tests of our faith. And so, Lord, make us able to trust you all the more as we prepare to investigate the book of Revelation and find that the terrors and the troubles that are coming upon the world in that final days, uh, in those final days, that that uh, you have made a plan for protecting your people and this we count on with great joy as we pray together for these named and unnamed things in jesus name amen you've come to me by night you have tried my heart And now we find ourselves in the GHM studio again, and we are ready to talk about chapter 6 of Revelation. And chapter 6 is where those seals start popping off of that scroll. So, Bethany, are you ready to look at chapter 6 with us? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> ready, Santa? Ready, Rudolph. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, I think I said it backwards, but that's okay. You did. But it's okay. <clears throat> it's kind of been our thing for a long time, that, that whole thing. Um, so I, uh, I, I was just talking with you before we got started about this. And uh, uh, this, is, this is where we get into some really funky, nitty-gritty. And this is the reason why uh, I just kind of forewarned you that if it takes us a few weeks to get through um, this seal business we'll we'll just see how it goes well and i feel like we've been saying that from the start but i will say that i think from this point on the rest of the book is nitty-gritty yeah kind of why a lot of wild stuff really starts happening yeah yeah and you know what every week i talk to people who say they've been listening to the podcast and the bible study and i met someone this morning that uh, well i know real well through church but but this is the first I'd heard that uh, this person was, was listening to the podcast. And they said, it's very interesting. And, and uh, kind of made the comment that, that uh, it's, you, you guys have an interesting way of approaching this. And I, I thought, <laughs> uh, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. But I think I understand what, what's being said is if you've studied this book before, and if you've read the books that are out there and everything, then you're not going to hear the same kinds of things from us. Which isn't to say that we disagree with any of that. What we're doing is Bible study, mm -hmm. which is not to say that that isn't at the heart of what these other products uh, do. But they draw, they draw a lot more conclusions than I'm willing to draw. I'm just trying to take it as it's written and just break it down verse by verse. And uh, what I find is that every time I do this, my big picture knowledge increases. And I guess that's how you become a scholar who writes a book about it. So you don't guide people. So, so a lot of those references and things that are out there and videos and audio recordings and books and all that, they rather than lead you through the verse-by-verse -verse process, they're just telling you what they've concluded, which they could do, but 
we're about knowing God with our heart and mind, which is we're teaching people how to use their critical thinking and their mm-hmm. imaginations and everything. And so, so we, we have a different goal. But I think that anybody who's brave enough to take on an endeavor like this has to be brave enough to have a goal and stick to it. And that's what we do. That our goal in Bible study is is to help people develop their critical thinking skills mm-hmm. in Bible study, and not so much to give them all the answers to the questions about the Book of Revelation and what it really means and everything. That's going to happen sometimes, but that's not the main goal. The goal is really to help you think, mm-hmm. and and so that's what we're doing. We're and just use all of the skills that you have at your disposal because I think sometimes when people read the Bible, they they and and. Let me let me be careful how I say this because we absolutely should read the Bible differently than other books, but sometimes we read the Bible differently than other books. Right. And you you should be using all the skills you have. So that's one of the reasons that I'm always bringing up literary critiques and literary analysis because it is still a book. It is still written word, and you're going to have you're going to interpret things a certain way if you're using those skills that you have when it comes to reading right. so yes it's a di- yes it's a book that should be looked at differently than you know harry potter or another book that you read but it is still a book yeah yeah so you got to use all of your skills well and, and one of the things that we've learned in this book of revelation especially is that we are seeing a great literary form mm-hmm. and i don't think that's an accident Mm-mm. you know so so yeah i couldn't agree with you more about that so in uh, just by way of quick review, uh, chapter five, we basically saw this incredible ceremony where the scroll that basically, uh, you know, has God's launch codes for the end of the world. <laughs> That's a terrible way to put it, but, but you know, each, each seal is part of that launch code sequence that that initiates god's global redemption plan you know and so uh there's a big ceremony because there's only one person who can operate this this uh this uh, launch system you know and he's just been handed the scroll and given permission to go ahead and proceed Mm -hmm. with the launch and uh you know in my mind i'm picturing my childhood in the cold war and all those images of the guys on the nuclear submarines are down in the missile silos they both put their keys in and turn them at the same time and only when they've gotten confirmation verification and an absolute certain you know must do you know and and it's but it's like that this this is this is the major event of all human history that's going to unfold and so we've witnessed the the ceremony that he's presented the scroll and given authority to go ahead with the plan Mm -hmm. and then we get to chapter six and it jumps right into him doing that and and, uh yep and and those seals are coming off one after another and so uh chapter six verse one and two uh it's it's kind of it's kind of amazing because it's just like here we go and where I have been having us take turns reading whole chapters at a time now I really don't feel like I should do that no so verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6 says I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder come I looked and there before me was a white horse its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out to uh to as a conqueror bent on conquest well okay <laughs> so what do we see <laughs> you know uh one of the four horsemen i feel like this is one of the images from revelation that gets overused and overused and overused by popular culture sure the four horsemen you know, Pale Rider, yeah. Clint Eastwood. Like all of it. The <laughs> yeah. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Just. And it's a shame, really, because it, it does belittle it. But then, you know, at the risk of sounding, I don't know what it sounds like, but, you know, this would be the way to, the Satan would do it, right? Mm-hmm. This is the way he would do it. Mm-hmm. He'd, he would take some of the most 
sacred information being communicated in scripture and entice popular culture into diminishing its value and treating it like it's it's trivial and irrelevant you know and so now we we have these you know jokes about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and you know uh, this is serious business. <laughs> um, you know, the white horse was especially prized. Mm -hmm. Its rider held a bow. Biblical prophets used the bow as a frequent image of conquest, though associating it especially with Eastern peoples known for their archery. Well, that's interesting. And uh, the commentary I'm looking at, it says, Most fearful to the Roman Empire, Rome's most formidable enemy, Parthia, was known particularly for its mounted archers. And they were the only group of mounted archers known in the ancient Mediterranean world. Many Jewish people expected Parthians to play a role in the future war. For the most part, the Euphrates divided the Roman and the Parthian empires. Well, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And given that John is interpreting what he's seeing through the lens of his time, mm -hmm. it's particularly telling because the greatest power in the land has one fearful enemy, and it's the archers on the white horses of Parthia. Now, that isn't something I want to overstate because that's clearly not what's happening. But then if I were to, you know, but it, in the context, what it's saying is, is that whatever's going on in our world at the time, whoever the biggest, most powerful army and national power, international power is, is going to find this quite frightening. Yeah. And. Well, and, and so the white horse is an omen uh, mm -hmm. or a sign of war. war. And so what and, the... And I, I get the sense that because I, I, we've had conversations before about like, like the lamb is the one opening these things and it sounds awful and you think like he's unleashing, unleashing all this bad stuff. And, and this is where I tend <coughs> to have those questions for you because you get the sense that this horse comes out and he's given a crown like he's given permission to go out and conquer yeah he's he's been given like he's in charge yeah he has the authority to do it and that's kind of scary i'm yeah. scared yeah and and you know um it if so, so what is it telling us about the beginning of God's strategy for redeeming the world once and for all, it, it says to us that it starts with war. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so what's the first element? War. Mm -hmm. and, and here's the question. I, you know, I hinted last week that we would talk about the harpazo or the rapture. And um, the only way we can talk about that is on purpose because it's not here. And yet, if we go much further into this breaking of the seals without dealing with it, we can go right past it. So, mm -hmm. so let's just say this. Before that first seal is broken, um, and, and before we got started, I was doing a little quick research to double-check myself. There are a few things in place that we need to remember. We've already witnessed the throne room where jesus or the lamb is receiving the scroll and there are certain things happening there that give us hints that may be very comforting to us it would be comforting to me i know that but but there is there are some things being described as already present before he begins to open the seals the 24 elders are there they've knelt down and worshiped the lamb the lampstands are there mm -hmm. with their lights and that's established in the very beginning of the book of revelation mm -hmm. and so as he's witnessing this you know because we've been taking weeks and weeks and weeks months really going from chapter one to where we are now and so it's easy to forget that 
what he's describing went down pretty fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, if you just started reading chapter one right through to where we are right now, how many minutes would that take you? You know, it might mm -hmm. take you 20 or 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, if he's dictating the letters and all this, even so, this is all moving pretty rapidly. And what uh, what is happening in the throne room is already established. And yet he takes time out to write letters to the current uh, real world churches and yet he's talking about the churches in those letters that already existed he's talking about the types of churches and Christians that will come to be mm -hmm. and so he's writing to the before and the after and then we get to the after when we're back in the throne room and so in the throne room what do we see we see the lampstands which represents the church mm -hmm. Now that right there would suggest that before the seals are broken, the church is already there. Now, mm -hmm. I know people who would say, okay, that's a real stretch. But that's the first indication. There are going to be more, but mm -hmm. that's the first indication. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to other stuff. So right there we see the first indication that the church is already no longer present on the earth when that white horseman takes off mm -hmm. and that's kind of good to know because you know like you've joked about i'd, I'd rather watch from the mezzanine uh you know that's a much better place I to mean, be i'm not really joking well and i and i say you know the funny thing is is when i hear myself say watch from the mezzanine who'd really want to watch that especially when you're in the presence of god i don't want to <laughs> watch i think i'm going to be satisfied with what's going on around me up there you know i i don't want to go and off I say up but yeah, yeah. I don't want to go off to an ugly place, but it was horrible to watch the World Trade Centers falling down and the Pentagon burning. You know, yeah. we, we knew people were dying. We knew that terrible things were happening, and you could only watch that so much, and then you go, I, I don't want to watch that. I, you know, uh, and it's the same kind of thing when you watch the tsunami videos and things when that happened. And, you know, so there's just all kinds of things that, that we can watch and none of them even come close to what's going to happen then. And I, I don't want to watch. If I'm in the presence of God, I want to enjoy his mm -hmm. presence rather than watch the destruction of the earth mm -hmm. and the, the various things that go along with it. But, but anyway, um, so I don't know. What else do we want to say about that first horseman? There's not much you can say. He's, he's, a, uh, he's the harbinger of war. And uh, so, I, go ahead. I I'm just was wondering because I'm I'm looking ahead a little, but um, each of the living creatures introduces one of the horsemen, and it seems like it's in an order. Mm -hmm. Is there significance to which living creature is announcing which horseman? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question, and the answer I have is, is probably, but what can we know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I do remember that when, remember a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to remember Joint Chiefs of Staff? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, mili the generals from the various branches of the military. Well, now I know what I wanted that, you know, I, you helped me remember that word. But what's interesting is, is that... Uh, you can almost, and, and you know, forgive me, folks, if you're finding all this a bit hard, you know, to swallow this sort of frank way that I do this. But, but it's like I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, yeah, Bethany's got a point here. And it's almost like if those guys are the chiefs of the various military forces, they're each sending out their specialist right you know um well, that's what if I'm it wondering. was the joint chiefs the air force guys would be sending out planes the navy guys would be sending out boats and the marines would be sending out expeditionary forces and the army would be sending out artillery you know what i mean yeah and uh, yeah anyway go on well because the only reason i was asking is because it doesn't specifically say which living creature it is in chapter six but it says like the second living creature the third living creature and the order that they're introduced in chapter four is a lion and a lion and war kind of seems uh -huh. to connect yeah and it's an ox a man and an eagle Ooh. so but i have no idea guys i this is what i'm here for 
Well, that's cool. Let's let's <laughs> see if we notice. So, okay, verse 3 is the lamb opening the second seal. And uh, I heard the second living creature say, Come. I just like doing it that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, the <laughs> Then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other and to him was given a large sword okay so the white horseman is an archer Mm -hmm. who is uh feared by the most powerful standing army Mm -hmm. theoretically and he is, uh, you know, what do archers do? They're, they're like snipers today. They, they take out specific targets. Uh, um, there are two ways they used archers in, in combat in those days. Um, archers who walked, you know, who marched on foot, um, they would launch their arrows all at the same time and drop a volley of, you know a thousand arrows on their enemies and it was pretty devastating Mm -hmm. but an archer on horseback was somebody who was seeking out particular targets and and making strategic shots Mm -hmm. and then this guy he's he's creating chaos among the enemy or, or among the people he's he's getting them riled up and fighting each other he's he's different now now, you were saying that the uh, uh, four living creatures, the first one described, was the one that had the head like a... Uh, like a lion. A lion. And then the second one was the ox, mm-hmm. right? See, I don't know if I can make a correlation between the know. two, but it's curious. Um, all I can tell you is, is an ox... You know, a, a lion would see. You know, I'm okay. You shouldn't have done this to me. <laughs> I'm well, sure you're going. you and I could do this on our own, and it would be very amusing. But I don't know that our friends oh on God. the other side of the microphone are going to enjoy this. But a lion would seek out its prey, mm-hmm. kill it, and devour it, mm-hmm. basically. Or if it was a threat to the pride, it would kill it, and that would be that. Whereas an ox is just going to start plowing through the crowd. You know, an ox is going to gore everything in its way. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be very particular about who it goes after or why. Mm -hmm. An ox is just going to be creating chaos. He's going to be, you know, the old bull in the china shop kind of thing. He's just going to be creating you know like the like the uh running of the bulls in pampelona you know i mean it's it's just like they don't really care who's in their way they just get it mm-hmm. and then go on to the next thing yeah. you know so so it is kind of an interesting correlation it may not mean a darn thing but it's kind of fun to to do the mental exercise so mm-hmm. huh well you want to try another one sure so when the lamb opened the third seal I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was the black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in in his hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil in the wine. <laughs> All right, what do we do with this one, Bethany? <laughs> well, to me, this sounds looking at symbolism or or trying to see the symbolism. It sounds like rationing, which makes me think famine and war. Uh huh. That's good. <laughs> So who's it the third living creature? The one that looks like a man. <laughs> Ding! Ding! <laughs> Everybody with us? Anybody <laughs> going? I don't follow you guys. So this is really interesting. I, you know, because it does sound like that. And and honestly, the other thing I love about reading Revelation in a more literal way is, is there's nothing illogical about it. It's just like when you read. Uh, the ten plagues of the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. and and just think about it. Usually, 
one plague naturally would follow the previous one you know um it, it just stands to reason yeah. you know you you get a plague of flies because a lot of things die and all of a sudden there's an excess of maggots yeah. <laughs> i mean you know and yeah. and, and like so the frogs and stuff and yeah the, the boils and disease yeah i mean it's all pretty logical and it doesn't seem wrong that god is is you know putting a series of things into motion that knowing exactly you know as the creator knowing exactly what leads you know one thing to another so here you go again you you've basically got um a strategic sort of uh execution or assassination of certain key individuals is kind of what seems to be described here and then you have uh anarchy right right that's what i was thinking i see war i see chaos and anarchy and then I see rationing and famine because everything's been taken. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And they're using their limited resources. Yep. You know, and then he says, and don't damage the oil and the wine. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. And, and yet, I, you know, in the Gulf War, one of the things that Saddam Hussein did to try to thwart the American progress was to light all the oil wells on fire and he thought that if he could burn up their supply of oil or at least disrupt this, the flow of oil that he could bring america to its knees mm -hmm. and you know again i don't want to read too much into it but but it's interesting that we talk about oil now of course in the biblical sense they think of oil well i take it back it really is the same well, you know, they might be talking more about olive oil and that kind of thing, but they used olive oil to fuel their lamps to, you know. I was sort of thinking that direction, like, um, I like reading dystopian style novels. That's a very popular genre right now, but they're really, they're interesting because they're kind of that post-apocalyptic thing. Um, the notion, like, what would humans do after all of that kind of stuff happened? And a lot of the authors will choose to eliminate electricity mm -hmm. because the grid is you know things are shut down things aren't working because it's post-apocalyptic and gasoline and oil yeah. are hot commodities so maybe it's saying don't damage the oil and wine because oil you need for fuel and there's already the you know the other two horsemen have already done a lot of damage and wine i'm thinking if it's rationing and famine then Another problem could be water supply. Exactly. You need wine. You need alcohol because it's safer. It's safer. Yeah. No, I so. I love where you're going with that because I would have come to the same conclusion, I think. Um, you know, and it is just as you described it, you know, and, and uh, most of our electricity is generated through fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. You know, we have some nuclear power plants and things, but yeah. most of it is fossil fuels. And so, obviously, if there's a breakdown in infrastructure, there's going to be a, a, a stop, a mm -hmm. stoppage of the flow of the fossil fuels to the power plants. And, and, you know, it's one of those systems where one part of the system breaks down and it kills the whole system, right. even if it's slow. But, uh, I mean, I don't think any of us has any grasp of how much... Uh, how many millions and trillions of tons of fossil fuels being shipped daily to keep power plants going and we're so hungry for it you know we think it's all about fossil fuels for our cars and that's true but there's an exponential difference between the fossil fuels for our cars and the fossil fuels that supply our power for everything you know, we are so dependent on electricity. I joke about that at church all the time because used to be you could have church pretty easily because there was just candles and if you needed a piano, well, it was an acoustic instrument. Now we have all these electronic instruments and electronic mm -hmm. lights and we, you know, we can't look at our hymnals because we're looking at the screen and, mm -hmm. you know, we've turned something that used to be done pretty easily into something that's kind of complicated. And, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying, so, you know, if the electricity ever goes off, are we going to remember how to do church? Well, that's, as uh, long as I'm around, we as will. As aside, that's why I really like those kind of books and TV shows is because it's really interesting to think about what we would do because we're so heavily reliant on things like that. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's pretty amazing. I think you've come to a rather brilliant conclusion. Oh, thank you. So, verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth creature say, Come! <laughs> and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, mm -hmm. and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Well, <laughs> it sounds like the Pale Rider just did what you were describing. Mm -hmm. Because obviously the, the plagues are going to be a result of the, you know... Diseased water, diseased food, I mean... Wow. I mean, like you said, if there's a breakdown in infrastructure, I mean, this is going to sound so disgusting, but there's a reason that the Black Plague was awful when it happened. Because infrastructure wasn't the same then. And sure. Well, if there's a breakdown in infrastructure, you have a problem with oil, you have a problem with electricity, like all of those things, but you also have really basic things that are well, unattended. electric pumps power our sanitation. Right department which means your water is going to be dirty there's gonna be stinky stuff everywhere sure and plagues will definitely happen yep yep electric pumps move the sewage through the sanitation process and cleaning that uh you know there's there's a sewage treatment plant in every community mm -hmm. And it's powered by electricity, and if it's got a generator, the generator is going to run out of fuel sooner or later. So, you know, these are the kinds of things. And this isn't just America. I mean, this is this is pretty much the modern world. You know, uh, in fact, the people who are most likely to survive this stuff are going to be the ones who are living this way anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a lot less of a challenge for them. The wild beasts of the earth thing kind of go with me. Okay. Kind of makes me think of like Jurassic Park, because I imagine like there's a lot of wild animals that coexist with humans now, and they're it's fine. Mm -hmm. But I get this, <laughs> I, I get this vibe like it's all those wild beasts that we have contained. Yeah. Does that like? <laughs> No, I, I follow you. Infrastructure, you know, they're gonna be all the zoo animals like, get loose, right? I, and I know that sounds ridiculous. Well, I think it's that. And I think when you have a worldwide um, uh, famine yes. and, and you have, you know. Uh, it doesn't uh, just affect people. It's, yeah, all, all the animals are going to be suffering too. You know, there's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a total breakdown in ecosystems. And, and that is just desperation. You know, and, and animals, they're going to do whatever they have to do to survive. And, and honestly, if there are people who are dying in the streets and everything else, mm -hmm. it's going to be kind of a free-for-all. Right. You they're know. desperate. In fact, is. Uh, one of the things I've heard uh, in, in probably one of these History Channel's things, like after people or whatever, I can't even remember what it was, mm -hmm. but... Uh, they always say that domestic animals would be some of the first to go yeah. because they're so dependent on people. Yeah. So yeah. your dog or your cat, probably not going to eat your eyes out because it's not going to occur to him to do that, you know, so he's just going to starve to death. Mm -hmm. But the raccoon that gets into your house, he probably will, you know, <laughs> you know, because they, they know how to survive without people. And right. so it, it's a, of course, we're getting gross here. That's not really the point, but, <laughs> but I see where you're going with that. But yeah. I mean, not, not to be gross, but just imagine, because I think what we're doing is taking these literally. Yes. And this is, this is how things, I think, would break down if the world is ending. Now, verse 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, 
were killed just as they had been. Now, this is one of those that I've studied before, and this is going to be part of what I have to say about that. But if the church is already present because we've seen the lampstands, then that's not who these people are. Right. These are the post-tribulation saints. Now, the reason I say that is because what we've been describing under the first four seals is tribulation. Mm -hmm. And there have been people who, during this terrible time of war and famine and chaos and anarchy and wild animals running in the streets and disease and plague, and during all of this, they've kept the faith. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Those can be the people who say, I'm going to be civilized because I'm a Christian, because I believe there's still a right and a wrong, even if there's no law. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've often thought about this, you know, in, in a total anarchy situation, you can try to do the right thing, but the, the evil or the rabid, you know, desperation is going to cause people to say, well, then that just makes you an easier target, and they're going to take you out because yep. you're not going to resist you know and, and so you know the reality is is during this time of chaos people who are trying to do the right thing who are perhaps coming to faith because uh, these events uh, have driven them to their knees and they've called out to the Lord and and uh, you know and some people would argue that this is this is maybe triggered by the fact that the church is no longer present and maybe they've witnessed this, uh, reality and put it all together in their minds and they've said I think I know what's going on here somebody told me this might happen mm -hmm. again I I mean obviously I can't hide my tendency to believe the in a pre-tribulation rapture but in any case these are not the church this is not us these are the ones who come after the chaos begins can I say that I find it encouraging too yeah because it says, like, 11, verse 11 says that they were given a white robe and told to wait a little longer until their full number was reached. Yeah. That's encouraging. Yeah. Because that means that that there's more people yeah. who are going to come. Like It's not utterly hopeless. Right. Well, and some people argue this is the 44,000, which comes later. Yeah, the 100. 144,000 but the reality is is that there is more in the, there's more reason to think that that's not the church that's uh, uh converted Jews or something like that so, so Which anyway. is also encouraging because it means that many more people coming to right. Jesus so Yeah. This is not all doom and gloom today. They got to go through a lot but they are going to be redeemed. So I think that it'll be okay for them though because you know millennia is a long time. Yeah. Well, um, I think we're getting close on time here, but I want to, yeah. But we're almost at the end of the chapter, and I wasn't even sure we'd be able to do that today. <laughs> Verse 12 says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth, made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree. And when, sh when shaken by a strong wind, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. We haven't mentioned it yet, but this chapter is what... We've mentioned it before, just not today. But this chapter, and especially like this verse is where I really start to see that whole idea of Revelation being Genesis, being creation unmade. Yeah. Genesis backwards. Because that's what that whole thing you just read sounds like. Yep. It's like everything's being pulled back. Yep. It's, it's like, it's like Genesis scary. in reverse. And it really is, as you go further along, it's like the deconstruction right. of creation, right. which is God's created order. Um, that is cosmos. Uh, we haven't really talked about that yet, but the difference between chaos and cosmos. Mm -hmm. Cosmos is an ordered, created universe, mm -hmm. and chaos is the absence of an ordered, created universe. And so the cosmos is withdrawing. Yeah. In fact, it looks here like it's being torn open. Right. I mean, the way it's being described, it's open like a scroll, and it's, 
it's like uh, it's like the the uh, the primordial world of prehistory is being uh, you know is turn is happening. Um, it reminds me of like when a pond or a lake turns in the spring and in the winter. You know that that uh, in the springtime the cold water's on top and the warm water's on bottom, and then over a period of a few days it flips, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the warm water's on on top and the cold water's down below. And and literally when you go fishing, you know, in the summertime, you, you know when you got one off the bottom because when you reel him in, he's icy cold. Mm -hmm. And he's down there sort of like you go into deep sleep. I don't want to digress, but I'm just saying it, it's that radical a transition that's being described here. And this does look like something on a cosmic scale. This is, this is some kind of solar event. This is some kind of, of you know... I mean, it sounds like meteors. Yeah, and and stars falling from the sky. Yeah, mountains being removed from their place. Yeah, That's I I think you're right. This would be like a, a major, uh, m like meteor storm, or not really meteors, but maybe some kind of a comet. Right. Someday. And it would darken the sun because as soon as it hit the Earth, it would throw up a cloud that would cover the earth in this cloud of dust for and debris for days and weeks really because it would go so high into the atmosphere i mean it's kind of like when these volcanoes well, blow up and the earth like the earthquake thing like it, it, it just all kind of goes sounds like it fits together like and i have no idea what's actually going to happen this is just conjecture but like the like like you said, like a comet or something hitting, if it's a massive comet or something and it hits the earth, it's going to cause quite. Well, it says a fourth of the, uh, like fourth of the population's gone. Yeah. Well, I'd say if you're in that part of the world where it hits, you're instantly gone. And, it, and the whole, every mountain and island being removed from its place, it's not saying they're gone, but they're moving. Yeah. And, and that would be enough force, I think, to earth move well look at it this way if you were to take your fist and bring it down really hard on your kitchen table while there were plates and, ta and pl stuff and glasses and silverware and if you went pow just as hard as you could on that table that thump would cause everything on that table to move from where it was to somewhere else and and the closer it is to the epicenter the further it's going to move and I think that's the way to look at it, is the earth gets thumped by something big and heavy and hard, and everything on the earth goes woof and moves, you know. And, and I imagine that the, the death and destruction that that would bring about would be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's try to finish the chapter, and we have to hit it again next week to kind of figure, cause, because I'm looking at the clock, and I, I, I'm kind of committed to this time frame. So... Uh, verse 6, uh, 15 says, and Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves around the rocks and the mountains. And they called out on the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, for the day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So basically, when all hell's breaking loose and crap's falling out of the sky, <laughs> pardon the non-biblical language, but heck, you know, when where do you go? You go underground, and of course, we all know that in our culture and, and in our society for many decades now, bunkers are where the elite go mm -hmm. to hide from the bad things mm -hmm. the elite have all these secret bunkers they're going to go into and when they see something on this scale after having already witnessed the departure of the church after after already witnessing famine and chaos and disease and war and anarchy and wild animals running loose in the streets after witnessing all of that and then witnessing this major cataclysmic event, they might say somebody out there really is powerful and I am scared. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a good place to stop. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, for those counting, that was only six seals. So there's another one coming. Another one's coming. But not for a while. 
All right. There's other stuff we have to talk about before that last seal gets opened. Yep. So, read ahead to chapter 7 so, if you like. Intrigue. Intrigue. What's it going to be? So, <laughs> so, you want me to do like I did in the church service this morning? I no. gave a, I gave a commercial about Ruth no. and Boaz <laughs> to find out what happens next on Revelation. The seventh well, seal. Well, they should just come to church next week because you said you were going to talk about Revelation with Ruth. Yeah, and I was actually thinking about using chapter so. five of Revelation. So, yeah, I I got my work to do. Well, okay, we did it again, babe, and I guess it's time to uh, to call it a day. But uh, thank you again for your faithful part in all of this, and thank you, friends, for listening and. Um, I'll give you a little wrap-up here in a couple of seconds. But for now, this is Pastor Dan and Bethany saying, see ya. Bye. Well, that's all for now, folks. I really, really am honored that you listen to this podcast each week. And Bethany and I are just so humbled by this. Um, and we hope that you find the process of critical thinking that we do entertaining and also informative. I know that you probably don't always agree with our conclusions, but that's great. That means you're doing your critical thinking, and that's what we want for you, is to be thinking Christians who believe not only with their hearts, but with their minds. And uh, so... We have much to think about. And one thing I would say to you in closing is if you don't want to risk being on the wrong side of this breaking of the seals, and, and I don't mean to sound like one of those old-fashioned fire and brimstone preachers, but let's just face what we're hearing. There's going to come a time when Jesus is going to start opening those seals, and I want to be in his presence when that happens and not here on earth. And I want the people I love to do the same. I hope you do. And I hope that you'll take whatever actions of faith are necessary to make that possible for you. Namely, to pray to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and leadership of your life as he restores you to a new creation made in his image. For now, God bless you and goodbye.